Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, workshop and retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpie.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. It's a delight and pleasure to be joined today by Angela Howell. Angela is a wellness and success expert, best-selling author of Finding the Gift, Daily Meditations for Mindfulness, a professional speaker and abstract artist. Angela shares her compelling story of triumph and lessons learned along the way with a variety of audiences and uses her own coaching program to help clients create a life worth having. Angela is available to speak on multiple topics, one of the most popular being Courage to Birth Dreams. Please see her website, angelahowell.com, for a full list with descriptions as well as speaker demos. Angela is passionate about wellness and success and has been seen in Fast Company, Cosmopolitan, Yahoo News, and is a former contributor to Huffington Post. Angela is devoted to inspiring people to find renewed passions for living, loving, working, and playing, and of course, just being. It's really wonderful to have you joining me here today, Angela. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Will. I'm honored to be here. We we met several years ago and our messages just immediately seem to have a lot of overlap. So it seems only natural that we're finally doing a podcast together. It, it sure does. And you, uh, one of your speaking topics and a title that we sort of agreed to frame our dialogue is suffering is ordinary, unwrapping the gift in adversity, which I love because it, it's absolutely aligned with a lot of my life journey and what I share and teach. And also that languaging of unwrapping the gift in adversity, there's something really powerful in that. And I wonder, as, as a starting point, we were just talking about, and you referenced it, how we met, which was at a, a Radical Gratitude play shop, one of these workshops that I offer, which is very much, um, I, could, I could happily steal your tagline, it's very much about unwrapping the gift in adversity. And I wonder if you might want to share like how you were drawn to that or, or repelled from that, how that unfolded for you, because... For a lot of people, I think the idea of there being gift in suffering or in challenge or difficulty might be a, a difficult one to accept. And yet your personal is. testimony is, is powerful to that. Well, thank you. I, I think it is a hard subject. And I always feel like if I do that talk, you know, it's don't shoot the messenger because for many of us, we are accustomed to staying in a victim type um, mindset where you know, these things happened to me. And I know for, for my own personal story, there was this sense of entitlement that I needed to be treated a little bit nicer, a little bit better because of the things that I've gone through. And all that did was continue to separate me from my fellows, which is 
the actual opposite of what I really want, which is a sense of belonging and connection. Hmm. So um, it is a difficult topic. Uh, I love to kind of say the title and watch people's sometimes just very uh, non-reaction to saying suffering is ordinary. And um, the, the short story of, of where that came to me, I didn't create that phrase, was um, I was having a counseling session like many others. And the therapist looked at me and said, Angela, your suffering is ordinary. And it just incited me. I was so angry. I thought, did he not hear it? Has he not been paying attention to all the things that have happened to me? Let me recount them for you because I had the list ready to go and uh, it didn't matter. And so I had to embrace that. And that philosophy has changed my life to go from feeling um, separate and different. Therefore I deserved um, extra treatment, special treatment to, I really just want to be one among many and everybody suffers. We all know people who suffer. So um, back to your question of how we met three years ago to this day, um, my baby brother died um, with an intentional overdose. So he committed suicide and our family imploded. Um, I lost a brother, but given the age difference, he was also someone that I um, had always felt inclined to nurture and help give him what we lacked in our home and uh, just someone I always looked out for. So it was a devastating blow. And then our family totally imploded as, as what happens sometimes in a suicide situation, lots of blame and different things are throwing around and, and um, people do the best that they can, but it was devastating. And um, it was just especially devastating I was used to being kind of the hero role in the family. And then all of a sudden I am the scapegoat and I am the recipient of, of a lot of negativity. And that happened to August 7th, 2016. And uh, our mutual friend, Elizabeth told me about your workshop um, October. I don't know the date, but it was in October, 2016. So I had become, a, I had just gone into myself. I stayed at home. I was in incredible grief and depression and um, just really lacking the will to live. And uh, I felt this nagging from Elizabeth to come, which is unlike her. She usually would just present an idea once and that would be the end of it. She reached out to me again the Friday before. And at that point I was barely, I was barely leaving the house. I, I just could barely get up and, um, and she, she checked in with me that Friday before and said, I really, really think you should come. I just want to encourage you one more time. And I don't even know if that morning when I woke up, I intended to come, but something said, just go. And I got there. I think I got there late because I really was not wanting to come. Radical gratitude. I was not in a place of radical gratitude. And I, when I came in, within five minutes, I had that sense, that deep knowing, I'm supposed to be here. I know I'm supposed to be here. And then we went through the workshop. We went through some of the exercises. And by the end of the day, I had this thought of, I think I'll choose to live again. And it, it was very profound. And I thank you for that. It, it was the start of realizing I'm going to get through this. Yeah. I mean, it just moves me so deeply on so many levels we had a little conversation about this prior to recording and yet still it just moves me so much. Firstly, of course, the immensity of your loss and imagining the devastation for your family. And I want to you know, speak to the 
the memory and showering love and blessings upon the memory of your brother. And there's something in what you describe that resistance. Like I, I can really imagine it. Like yeah, who 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 is this guy? Radical gratitude play shot. Like whatever you know. Does does he know? Not, I mean, he hasn't been through this, right? right. And. I hear you speak to how our suffering, everyone suffers and there is something in losing someone to, in, in, in grief, in loss and losing someone to suicide that is particularly intense and particularly harsh. Mm-hmm. Just as my narrative, brain cancer, that's kind of like up there in the top 10, you know, with ones that people would think are impossible to find gift in. So it mm-hmm. feels that we've, we've, we've both come from places of uh, intensity, and immensity and I feel gratitude that you speak to that resistance you know like there's nothing in that for me I really don't want to go and yet something in Elizabeth as you say unusually caused her to encourage and then perhaps you can speak to that knowing that you were in the right place when you arrived like what what was it what were the insights that began to to stir in your awareness as we look through radical gratitude, you know, unwrapping the gift in adversity, as you so beautifully put it. I think what happened is just getting there, finally pushing past the resistance. I really wasn't doing anything among people. I, I literally did not leave the house most days. And so uh, pushing through that, we have so much resistance sometimes. And then when we get on the other side of that, we, we, we are free to experience whatever the situation holds for us. And so immediately I felt the warmth of the group. Um, I resonated with you and with the topic. You have a very gentle, calming presence. And just with your opening, whatever that may have been, just with the opening, I felt like this is going to hold some power for me. This is going to empower me and lift my spirit. I just, I just knew based on those few things that, that I see why I needed to be here. And I'm curious as to where this day is going to go. And I, I, I don't know at what point this exercise came, but I have my notes. I keep everything, but I have my notes from one part of your workshop and you had us list, you know, gratitude. And um, I started with, I'm grateful for bare feet. You know, sometimes we have to start with the most basic things. And then I love this one. I I am grateful for the candle of hope within my soul that dims but cannot be extinguished. I am grateful to discern what I need. And I would say that for me, that's that's the theme throughout the different trials that I had, that I've gone through. And I certainly didn't need another one. But there's something within us all that the candle can never be extinguished unless we choose to let it be extinguished. We have a choice and that's what's so beautiful to me about adversity. We have the choice on how we're going to respond. We can let something beat us and basically die, just not have the funeral yet, or we can choose to be open to being resilient and coming back from no matter what the circumstance is. Yeah, and I think all of us, I know I can empathize with the, have a sense of the depth of depression and grief that might result from the experience you describe. And to become aware of that 
undimmable or the, the dimmable but unextinguishable aspect of ourselves. This, this really for me is a an essence to radical gratitude. It's an essence of the truth lover and love and truth party that the human spirit is priceless, is, is of infinite worth and is incredibly powerful, incredibly resilient. And in my experience, we don't find that out for ourselves until we've been through the fire or, or, or several fires, perhaps. Um, and I hear you about the resistance as well. It feels really important to emphasize that, that the resistance is, is natural, is to be expected. However, whatever the scale of the challenge we might be facing, and pushing through that or overcoming that and bringing curiosity in. I feel like for me, that's such an important quality. Like what, what, what is the meaning of this? That was very much alive for me with the brain tumor diagnosis. And even when it became a cancer diagnosis, like, so there's the doctor's meaning, but like, what's the meaning for me? What's, what's my soul's learning in this perhaps? What's the opportunity in this for me? I don't know where I read it because I read and I listen to things a lot, but I read something recently that said if we could remove the good and bad judgment of the things that happen in our life and if we could see our time, you know, on earth uh, in this role as so limited and what are we here to do? What is our major task or our purpose? And what, if we can look at everything as, as a classroom, you know, like you're talking about, and instead of saying, oh, this is really bad, just understand, oh, no, this is part of the lesson to enrich my life, even if it's, you know, um, wrap, gift wrapped in obstacles, you know, to play on the, 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 the gift terminology. Um, it's unwrapping that gift and, and trusting that there will be good that comes from it, even if it doesn't feel good right now. And adopting that mentality the 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 resent the the resistance that i face with that is this identity that i have built over a lifelong of of trauma and adversity um of being a victim and being entitled to special treatment that is a platform i stood on and for the counselor you know that i mentioned in the beginning to tell me that my suffering was ordinary then he was removing a platform that that was a the you know a, a huge crux of my identity well who will i be if i'm not special because of the things that i've walked with how will i how will i uh command worth or how will i even feel worth if it isn't all those things but having my worth tied up in the adversity that happened to me is is in the end of the day, not what I want my worth to be tied up into. And so eliminating that platform to stand on has freed me to figure out where are my real um, points of worth, you know, coming from where, inherently, how am I worthy? And to let go of the notion that I need any kind of external thing to um, feel a sense of worth, whether it's you know, material things or relationship status um, or the, you know, what I was using, you know, the adversity that I'd walked through that, that uh, I've come through this. So um, somehow, you know, you all should view me as special. And uh, so it really, it really rocked my world. And 
and to, but you have, it takes a lot to let go of something that has been, you know, such a core part of, of our, our identity. It reminds me of uh, my, my friend Vicky. She's actually a therapist that was just in a conversation with her as a friend that very early on when I was diagnosed, she said, you know, well, your situation isn't different to anyone else's. It's just, you can't ignore it. You know, we're all going to die, right? We all have a finite amount of time left in this body. But the gift for me with the diagnosis was that I, of course, couldn't pretend otherwise. I couldn't continue to imagine that I could just do that next year or do it in five years or do it in six months because it was made really clear to me that that might not come. But that, of course, is, is true for all of us. So it feels like there's something very powerful in your message around suffering is ordinary. It's actually what unites us. We all face difficulty, challenge, depression, adversity, stress, and how we respond to that is so important. And it you, you prompt me to think of what my friend Vicky's partner, Ravi, said to me, which was, you, you must have been asking yourself, why me? And it was really funny because the thought hadn't occurred to me, not, not with that tone, at least. It was more kind of like, like, why me? You know, like, and that's the curiosity that you're pointing us to, I think, that it's more helpful to change that tone somewhat, you know, rather than why me or, or look at me, how much I'm suffering. Why, mm -hmm. why me? What's the opportunity in this? And you've obviously gone on to write a best-selling book, Finding the Gift. You, you speak to audiences in various contexts about this. I wonder how much of the gift for you has been that service, that contribution, that, that, that showing up in the world in, in such a powerful way. Oh, I love everything that you've talked about. I love how you phrased the tone difference because I was absolutely saying, why me? As opposed to, hmm, why me? Almost like one was a, a death sentence where the other one is, why was I chosen for this, you know, um, mission to hmm. come through in your case, brain cancer. Um, my whole path unraveled or I shouldn't say unraveled, but my whole path became clear when I achieved the things in life that I had set out to achieve as far as uh, corporate you know, success and um, marital status and material things and found that I was still empty. And a physical disability took me out of the life that I knew and the identity of all of those accolades and made me ask the question, well, what now? Where, if corporate success and, and all of the things that the world told me were, you know, were, you know, was representative of being successful, now what do I do? And so it put me on this path. I, I didn't mean to write this book. It just, these uh, profound life lessons came to me through everyday metaphors. And I just kept a journal that eventually did become a book. And now, you know, in sharing the book and hearing from readers or when I speak, I experience that as a reward greater than any other reward I've ever had. It's bigger than any paycheck. It's better than any free trip that I ever won, you know, or it's certainly better than my salesperson of the year trophies that are up in the attic collecting dust. To know that you have impacted a life, um, I mean, I reflect back to you, to know that you showed up in Nashville and delivered that workshop, not knowing my story 
and that I came with much reluctance and I made a decision to live again, to hear those types of things, you know, when you're interacting with the people that you've touched, I don't know about you, but for me, there is no greater reward. There is no other moment than those moments when I am convinced that I am walking my intentional path. I know what my purpose is. And I understand why I had to walk through all those things. And, you know, my, my things started young. And I joke in my talks that I feel like that person who's been struck by lightning six times. I mean, what are the chances of that? And as each new thing happened, I'm like, are you kidding me? As if all the rest weren't enough. And uh, I went through another huge ordeal in 2009 where I was a attacked by a neighbor's pit bull and Doberman. And, and it was a very devastating experience um, with, you know, permanent physical damage and, and horror of, of that type of, of attack. And I thought to myself, I, I'm done. I'm just done. This is the end of the road. All of the rest was enough. I cannot believe yet one more devastating thing um, happened to me. And, and it felt like it felt like it was representative of all the other traumas, even though the beasts in this situation were dogs. Um, it really challenged me. And yet slowly that candle wasn't extinguished. And slowly I decided, you know, to live again. And then when my brother's death, I, I, again, I'm thinking, I, but, but what I have made out of the, all of this is each of these things have made me relatable to almost anyone that could come up to me. Um, to say, I'm struggling with this. And instead of me saying, I'm so sorry, I can say, I, I understand what that's like. I've been there myself. And, you know, I, I joke that, God, I don't need anything else to be relatable about. Surely this is enough. But, but I know that with each one, that's one of the gifts in it is that it makes me um, relatable on a personal level to the people that I will encounter to to give them hope that yes, that happened to me too. And I'm living to talk about it and I'm living here to have radical gratitude for it. Um, and the other thing I have to mention, one thing that you said, these times are where we find the fabric of our being. They push us to new levels that we would not have come to any other way. I couldn't be the person that I am today with the perspective that I am today. And I'm, I, you're nodding your head. So I know you, you know what I'm saying. I couldn't have got here if my life had been all roses. If my childhood had been, you know, all just rosy, I would not be where I'm sitting here today. And the adversity doesn't stop just because, you know, I've, I've had um, some readers suggest that I have such a perfect life and I'm very private about, you know, current day struggles. It'll probably be in a book 10, 20 years from now, but um, the struggles don't stop. But what continues is knowing how to continue to show up and reframe them and make that choice every single day. Do I want to be a victim today? Do I want to be stuck and feel like this is being done to me? Or do I want to find the gift in overcoming yet another difficult situation? Yeah, that resonates really deeply. First of all, I mean, hearing your experience of the play shop today, um, you know, receiving letters about the book as you would have had similar experiences. It's 
absolutely by far and away the most valuable, uh, unspeakably priceless experience that I've ever had to, to know that, um, that this life of mine has impacted people in that way. is just uh, of immeasurable value. And it's true as well that a lot of gifts and, and awakenings and shifts and insights have happened along the way. But for, for sure, the, the journey continues. It's, it's, it's not, um, we're never done, right? There's always more growth and more opportunity for expansion. And when I hear you speak to the relatability, that was like really, like, it was like a soulful awareness in me with the, so initially uh, it was addiction and suicidal depression in my 20s and even a family breakup before that and then the, the the brain tumor diagnosis in each one quite soon there was a sense of the opportunity being really around helping other people heal from cancer helping other people resolve depression um and not from a place of theory but from a place of practice the research is there as well and the scientific theories and so on but actually having walked that path and for for me, it was it's curious. Like, there's there's there was a, a tentativeness when I started to speak about radical gratitude. Even saying "blessed with a brain tumor" is my first book was called because, of course, I don't want to poke someone's victimhood. I don't want to cause someone suffering other than any suffering they're already experiencing. But there was a breakthrough moment, uh, many perhaps, but one that stands out. I was actually teaching. Uh, a friend was doing a yoga teacher training at Oregon high security prison. And she invited me to come along and teach radical gratitude. And when she asked me, I assumed it would be low security or medium security. I didn't, um, yeah, they wouldn't let me into a high security, right? But I get there and it's, you know, there was the first um, school shooter in Oregon history. There was mm. people who have committed um, atrocious acts of murder and pedophilia and, and so on the vast majority of them there to spend the rest of their life in prison. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to teach them about radical gratitude, about the gift in this, the gift in incarceration, just walking around the place, you get a sense of, wow, the, the depths of challenge you face in incarceration, particularly with some of the crimes that they had been charged with. I can't imagine that. And yet the reaction, that group of men, admittedly a biased group, a selected group, because they're, they're chosen to take yoga teacher training. They got it so much more quickly and readily, and I felt on a deep level, than a lot of you know, uh, spiritual seekers in, in California or, or, or somewhere else might get it. They really got the opportunity in their incarceration. So it feels like there's something very, very powerful and profound in however we language it, radical gratitude or unwrapping the gift in adversity. And maybe you can speak to us a little bit about how that is unfolding for you these days. I know you're a speaker, you're, you're a coach, you've written the book that uh, is touching many people's lives as well. How, 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 where does the rubber hit the road with that message of unwrapping the gift in adversity in, in, in your life as a, as a speaker and as a coach? I think for me, it's just the constant practice. It's hmm. whatever I speak about, whatever I write about, I'm speaking and writing to myself first because 
know, as I mentioned before, every day it's still a choice to view something as, as a gift or as a pain in the unit. <laughs> and um, I am currently walking through a really difficult personal situation and it's, and it's, it's a severe test. And yet the gift in it for me is coming to know myself at a deeper level and um, you know, I'm a faith-based person. And so that's uh, choosing to place my um, dependency for security, for provision, um, you know, in, you know, the God that I serve, as opposed to in when all of these things are okay, then I can be okay. So for me as a person, um, and I did a podcast a few weeks ago that, that, you know, came out of the things that I'm walking through, um, how to be okay when everything's not okay, because things are not okay in my world on an external level. And I am showing up to the challenge of how to still be okay internally, um, no matter what. And I've long had this vision that, that if my foundation as a person is solid enough that that's just kind of the the end game when i'm when i'm done with this life my hope is that my foundation as a person will be so solid that i will be more and more an observer of the things that are happening in my world but they're not rocking my world if that makes any sense and so for me that's where i'm at with my personal journey and in the meantime i'm here to share hope of the things, you know, like you said, that I've walked through personally, it's not a theory. It's not, you know, I, I, from this, whatever this is, I also, part of the thing that I walk through is recovery from anorexia and bulimia. And um, for years I've been giving back in that community, speaking to uh, middle schools and colleges to, to general eating disorder awareness. But then occasionally I will speak uh, as, as I did this week to um, a group of family and friends of people who are suffering from this devastating mental illness and they want their family member to just snap out of it. But you know, it's an illness and I can, I can talk to them as someone who has suffered from the mental illness of that and the, and the, uh, the, you know, the, the messages, the thoughts that are saying, they don't make sense to everyone else, but they make sense to the person going through it. And so I love being able to show up and say, yes, this is going to be a really tough journey. And here I stand as hope from, you know, in this case, someone who expected to die from that disease. And yet here I am, you know, there is hope. Um, so I guess that's, that's the, the double answer I would have for you is, is I love being able to represent hope in the various, you know, specific challenges that I've walked through for people who are coming up, you know, in the same challenges. And then I continue to aspire to learning how to be okay internally, even when externally things are not as I would have them. There's a few sort of threads that landed me from, from the richness of that sharing. Um, one that I want to touch on is, so I hear the word hope and I hear faith-based and I hear trust and it feels like a key thread in what we're talking about is 
is a is a trust a, a trust in a, a goodness that we may have no reason to have there may be no evidence in our outer life to have this trust and yet that's what's being called forth um, rather than fear to, to, to be in love um, and yeah that, that's a, a, a day-to-day journey for myself as well absolutely and it brings to mind a beautiful phrase I'm, I'm a I'm a syncretic individual I'm a technically I'm a Christian I'm a, also a Zen Buddhist I'm also a Sufi um, so I'm, I'm none of those things and all of those things but there's a particular phrasing of the Christ teaching which has always moved me very profoundly which is to be in this world but not of this world and there's something of that that you're speaking to I feel that you're very much acting in the world you're very much in the grittiness and the truth that this is a tough journey you're on this is a painful journey that you're on and yet to hold the light hold the hope hold the trust that is uh, not of this world you know this this world is a world of, of duality of, of, of fear of death of suffering and yet it feels like you're evoking and speaking to something that's beyond all that and 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 knowing your worth that's inherent that was another thread that came from that um, a challenge I've had recently was a couple of people that I've I've worked with. So just as there's the great gift of people we've served, offering testimony to the profound way that we've served them, I had two individuals who I've contributed to in that way and have given those testimonies um, have issue with me, perhaps for very good reason. And so there was this sort of attack coming from places where I would not expect uh to 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 be being judged to be to being attacked and the opportunity in that to know my own worth to know my worth beyond anything i may or may not have done or any perception or any self-image either internal or from anyone else uh was a, a a real opportunity in that so it it, it feels like the ultimate opportunity, the radical gratitude of much of this is touching that place of our lovedness, our, our, our infinite and inherent worth, simply as a consequence of our being, you know, not for anything that we've done, or, uh, but, but just because of our existence. And that's a really, really powerful place to arrive at, particularly in a world, in, in that phrase, in, to, be, to be in this world of marketing and um, politics and all manner of messaging that is trying to stimulate fear and self-loathing and self-judgment, you know, to then sell the beauty cream or the political party or whatever it might be. So it feels like there's something very much aligned with what Love and Truth Party is all about, which is this sort of new earth ninja being in this world and coming from, you know, practicing daily, being connected to love and our own worth and communicating that in the world. I mean, it's just uh, feel, feels so, 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 so deep and rich. I wonder to what extent that's something that is communicable that can be shared that can be taught 
embodied perhaps in our in our in our in our own day to day in our living i love that you have brought out that phrase to be in this world but not of this world that just so succinctly describes what i'm feeling and i've heard it if we can look at this life as a classroom or as a game even you know we can play a board game and you know monopoly for instance and and know that we're in the game and we're playing with you know all of our skill and i guess some of our luck but at the end it's a game and so what if we applied that principle to our lives you know as i sort of referenced before not good or bad it's just this is this is the hand we were dealt and how are we going to play it and you know you mentioned um having some attack on you know what you were doing or saying or or something and it see that's a perfect example of that was the exercise external attack external judgment and then you get the opportunity to def your worth to ask yourself is what are they is what they're saying true or not true is it more representative of them than it is of me as opposed to just immediately reacting even that what they say might be true or rising up in defense against it and missing to me the gift in that and it's a lot harder to walk out i understand especially when you know you're getting strong judgment or strong attack from someone that may or may not be important to you but it's still someone and so to me it's it's that that pause of not instantly reacting but asking myself a few questions is it true uh, it's true how do i feel about it being true do i want it to be true in the future an opportunity for change if it's not true what in the world is making this person so upset that they would project all of this onto me how can i love them so that they might that spirit of of unrest might be diffused in them you know some people come at us with a lot of energy that love a loving response can diffuse just like that and all they really wanted was love in the first place and so i've always been a spiritual seeker and i think there's always and as far as how can it, how can we is it realistic can it be applied in this world and i think absolutely yes i think a lot of us are doing it and as we do it and as we talk about it more people are encouraged to do it this whole uh this whole idea today even to the people who hear this it's going to be the first time they've ever heard this and it's the first crack in the belief that life is just what happens to you and it's either good or bad you know so the more that we can uh interrupt people's old and propose a new idea the more this whole no spread of of being you know in this world but not of this world and not being um rocked by every certain you know everything that's going to come along but but choosing to see it as a teaching opportunity and uh, are we going to be a willing student or are we not and and another thing that i say that people probably don't like to hear is that our god is so good and and wants the best for us 
that if we miss the lesson, it's going to repeat. And some may say, oh, I cannot believe this happened to me again, even though the circumstances might be changed, but like, oh my gosh, you know, like the, the people that um, may switch jobs and they find themselves with the same um, difficult boss or coworker, and then they switch jobs and then it's just, guess what? That's your gift. You're being served that again and again, because that's the area where you can grow and your life will bloom when you get that lesson. And so when, when repetitive lessons come, a lot of people can be like, I can't believe this is happening again. Instead of saying, there's really something in this for me. I'm going to get it this time. So it's just, it's just a different mentality. And, and uh, I mean, you and I didn't get to where we are today overnight. It's been a lifelong of, you know, process of culminating and searching these different philosophies to create our own, you know, what, what we believe and, and how we want to be in this world. Yeah. A journey of, of, in my case, certainly stumbling and, and failing and repeating mistakes and learning the same lessons. And like, there's something very profound in what you're pointing to that when there's that thread of things, the, the ego might say, surely not this again, but again, it's that change of tone, right? Oh, this, again you know what's what why am i still <laughs> having this experience you know, the mind might think i i should have learned by now at 40 as i am or whatever it might be and yet clearly i haven't clearly there is something to be embodied more fully to be seen more clearly in 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 this in this challenge and i need to interject something because i realize i'm I may be coming across as someone who's, you know, oh, I've mastered all these lessons. Uh, in, in reality, the lesson that I'm in right now is one that I've been in many times. And what comes to me is the visual of the spiral staircase. This isn't just, this isn't just a straight up and once we master this lesson, it's gone and we just go to the next to the next. It's a spiral. So we revisit certain lessons again and again and again as we climb. So Perhaps the last time I went through this particular lesson, um, I gleaned some wisdom and some knowledge and some how to, you know, how to handle it, but I did a full lesson. And so, you know, coming around again, full circle, but I'm bringing all of that with me to, to, you know, add to it. And so I, I never want to come across as someone who has mastered all their lessons because that's just not the case. I don't think that, you know, will happen. Um, that's just our journey here to continue to learn. But um, I'm learning a lot of the same lessons, but each time I am given the gift to learn that lesson that I'm not going to learn any other way. I can't read about it in a textbook. Knowing is one thing, but actually walking it out is another. Um, this same awesome therapist told me once that, that we're wounded in relationships and we heal in relationships. So I can't just abstain from relationship and go to the the textbooks and the readings and the podcast and get all this education and think that I'm, I'm just, wow, I could be great in a relationship now. No, I've got to take all that knowledge and get back into the trenches, you know, uh, and I'm just using the example of a relationship because it's, we're going to want to revert back to our old beliefs and our old wiring. And it's there where we're going to actually practice some of the new things and practice can get really messy. But, um, 
it's the only way we learn. And so that is reason to be grateful for these opportunities. We just can't grow through them any other way, but then to be in them. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to say that. I, I just, I, I know sometimes I come across as, I, I just need to say, I, again, I'm speaking to myself always. I will listen back to this and I will be, you know, taking the notes. Uh, you know, I think God shows up and speaks to, through us when we're doing public things like this that I go back and listen to and it's like, wow, that's really good. And of course, you know, it wasn't me. It was just God, you know, speaking through me to talk to me and to other people. So thank you for letting me add that. Yeah, it's a beautiful reminder. And, and certainly it's the, the case for me. I'm, I'm a teacher of radical gratitude, but more so and first and foremost, a, a student. And uh, it's a funny thing. Perhaps you've had that experience where you might read a bit of your book or hear a bit of a podcast or a speech. And it's like, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm really happy that I'm hearing that now. That's a really useful lesson that I can learn more deeply. And that spiraling metaphor um, is such a powerful one as well, because that can help soften that. If we're imagining a sort of straight line of A to B cause and effect progress in life. So I've done that. I've, I've experienced depression. So now I'm never going to have to experience depression again, for example then we suffer all the more because that resistance is increased, right? When we then encounter depression again, it's like, oh. And yet in the knowledge that this perspective that we're now, the depression may seem the same, but we're not. So this experience of depression now is actually a very different one. We're, we're at that higher level of the spiral, perhaps. So there's a deeper, more profound gift in this experience, in this particular challenge. I think that that perspective allows us to more readily open to discover what that gift is. And ultimately through all this to, to stay humble. Um, you know, if, if my, my view is pretty simple, if we're in a body, then we still have plenty more to learn. And that's as true of the Dalai Lama as it is of Donald Trump or, Eckhart Tolle or Oprah Winfrey or anyone that we might perceive or judge as being very bad or very good. Um, we're all, we're all learning. And I, I just love that. I think I'm feeling it more deeply than when I first read that line of yours. Um, you know, suffering is ordinary. Mm. Suffering is what actually unites us and, 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 and uh, binds us. And it brings to mind you know, vul vulnerability is a big theme where we're, we're awakening to the value of being vulnerable and my sense is one of the ways that vulnerability is so powerful when someone speaks to their pain or their challenge in a way that's authentic and real and gritty and doesn't bypass or, or um, leave out the, the the immensity of the pain or whatever it allows us to feel that connection that you were speaking of earlier to be in that relate relatability. Yes, absolutely. The, the recovery community has a phrase lead with your weakness. And I have held on to that for decades because when someone or when we put someone on a platform, you know, such as the, the people that you recommend that you mentioned, again, we're creating separation, but you know, there's, there's a, a saying like when you want to, look at someone who may be famous to remind ourselves they put on their pants the same way that we do one leg at a time, 
they're human beings, their platform might be larger, but it, they are just like us. And so um, the lead with your weakness thing, uh, I love to use when I'm speaking or when I'm writing, because uh, like you said, it's sort of the relatability of it. We connect, we connect in the struggle. Um, everyone can connect with that. And uh, I, I think humility and vulnerability are powerful ways to show up regardless of the platform. If the platform is, you know, not public speaking or, or public interaction, but just your day-to-day -day life, everybody touches somebody. And we can use the platform given, no matter what size it is, to impact people and humility and vulnerability uh, just go so far, you know, just interactions with clerks or um, even in traffic, kind gestures to let someone in um, suggest that I too know what it's like to want to merge and someone, but I'm going to let you in. <laughs> um, that's just such a, it's for me, it, it makes for a much, uh, more contented place to, to live from as opposed to what I've done in the past, certainly in my, in my early, you know, um, years in career, put the mask on, show up. I'm great. I'm confident. Everything's wonderful in my life. And, uh, let me, you know, I was in sales. So let me put the spin on and, and, uh, do the deal and just basically do my dance day after day, then come home, take the mask off and collapse and uh, I think we're we're moving as a society the realization that life with the masks on is exhausting mm -hmm. and it's separating so um, I love remembering the phrase lead with your weakness as, as a benchmark yeah that lands deeply for for me as well there's another little uh, alignment there I was working in, in fundraising, so very much in, in sales essentially. And the, the irony of the work that I did for, for many years, being very enthusiastic and, and very positive and very upbeat. And of course that's required regardless of what our internal emotional state might be. And there's something powerful in, that I learned in shifting state. And it feels that the work I do these days is uh, that, that may still be required at times. You know, if I'm giving a talk or a presentation or a workshop, how I might be feeling that morning absolutely is irrelevant, really. It's, it's secondary. But also, I have a principle in any workshop, you know, whatever shows up is part of the design of that workshop, right? It might not be my design, but it's, it's for the highest good. And so that includes if I'm activated or there's a particular depression alive in me or whatever it might be, and that, that can be welcomed into the space that can be spoken to. Um, not, not as a, it, it, it kind of is a device, but it's not a device. If that makes sense, it can just be an authentic sharing, but as a device, it does work to create a greater harmonic in the group by uh, allowing the painful parts to be soothed and allowing the ugly parts to be, to be, to be loved. Um, so it feels like I'm, as I, as I'm speaking to that, there's a kind of part of the journey that I've been on, I think is to 
having mastered to some extent the capacity to put on a smile and be enthusiastic and maintain eye contact and mirror body language and convince someone to support a wonderful charity there's i think yeah there's maybe something in that for me to be leading through my weakness and uh, bringing that vulnerability into the space i think it's especially powerful in 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 the role of motivational speaker or, or spiritual teacher where there are so many positive projections that may occur to still be taking on those roles powerfully, but to be bringing a, a deep authenticity and vulnerability into the, into the communication as well. And the lie for someone who does have a more public platform that, well, I can't show them that because I want them to buy my book or do my coaching or hire me for a speaker who wants someone who is less than perfect. But that is actually a lie. We have to, we have to walk as our, I guess, our, a, a, a product of our learning. And um, people want real people. Uh, people connect with real people. And I was at something recently where someone got up and, and right off the bat said, I just need to say I'm, I'm just exceptionally nervous. And so please bear with me. And I didn't have the reaction that of disrespect or um, thinking less of that person. My heart opened to that person because that was the first thing out of her mouth before she addressed the crowd. I was eager to support her all the more because she showed me her humanness. And uh, I, I just, I, I know that when I am, like I think back to my eating disorder struggle when I had counselors that had not walked the journey, but had all the book knowledge and, you know, they had the degree and the letters behind their name, but I didn't act with them as much when they couldn't say, I remember I was where you are and the struggle. And um, I don't know, we, we, we connect with humanness and the more we can show it, the more that we can connect with one another. Yeah, that's so true. It brought forth a memory for me of a, it was actually a sales training or you know, I was a, uh, visiting a sales office that I was going into to, to give a presentation. I'd done dozens and dozens of them before. And so had in theory overcome my fear of public speaking. And yet on this occasion, this really pronounced nervousness and ball of tension in my chest arose. So, um, yeah, it was a fundraising sales training. So it was, I, I guess, more, open-hearted perhaps than some might be um and it, it i just spoke to it so it feels like there's something in this the unwrapping the gift of adversity you know unwrapping it feels like there's an unmasking as well like peeling back the layers of our social roles or uh, wanting to present ourselves a certain way and being able to say yeah right now i've got this really curious tension in my solar plexus and i don't know why but i'm feeling really nervous speaking before you well even though i was here a month ago and know half of you you know um yeah i'm reminded of something else um you know i've i've the 12-step journey has been part of my path you know starting with the eating disorder and, and then the other you know things that that um there's 12-step group for so many things and and i love the the fellowship the spiritual journey of that model but the principle of anonymity i used to think that was just more about confidentiality, but then upon further research, um, to be anonymous is to be one among many. 
I grew up in a household where that was unacceptable. You had to be exceptional. You had to outshine everybody. You had to be above average, above average grades, above average performance. And so part of my journey has been undoing that type of thinking and striving to be anonymous, striving to be one among many, because that again is where the connection is to be above average means that average is here and this is where everyone is and I've put myself here by my efforts or at least in my mind then I'm not together and uh, we're not usually taught or raised to grow up you know try really hard to be average try really hard to blend in and don't stand out I mean it's a different again it's a mind shift but it's been useful for me to to focus on that um, as opposed to the constant pressure, perfectionism, and, and a drive to be so much better than the average person. Um, to blend in was just, I mean, it, even in my body to say that, you know, no, I just really want to blend in. There's a core thing in my body that's still not healed. It's like, what? No, we're, we're, supposed, to, we're supposed to shine. But at the same time, I think when we put on this vulnerability and this humility of, of being willing to just fit in. Maybe the pressure of performance falls away so that more authentic versions of ourselves can come forward. And though while we're blending in, um, whatever we were made to do will shine. And it's almost like our gifts are ordinary too. If, if, if I'm gifted in this area over here, I can trust that you're gifted in this area over here and we're still lateral. We're, we're still on the same platform. It's just manifesting through different gifts, but to, to, oh gosh, that just brings to mind the comparison. I spent my whole life trying to be better than while feeling less than that's quite a, that's quite a feat <laughs> and it's exhausting. Um, so that's, that's, I really appreciate, you know, the things that you've said that, that brought me to that something good to, to sit with that I don't want to be better than, and I don't want to feel less than anymore. I just want to be, I just want to be with everyone else. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things we're exploring at love and truth party is like, what's the old story and what's the new story? What's the old way of being or the old consciousness and what's the new consciousness. And it feels like competition and comparison is very much the old story. You know, survival of the fittest is not enough for us all. So we've got to grab it while we can. And what we're evolving into, we must evolve into is community is connection is, is, is oneness is unity that our suffering is ordinary. We are all in the same boat. And, uh, yeah. And I like pointing to the fact also, as you say, that our, our gifts are similarly uniting us rather than, uh, rather than setting us apart. Yeah, that's the first time I've flipped it to my gifts are ordinary. That hurts my ego a little bit. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I like it. There's something that feels so good about adopting that philosophy. My gifts are ordinary. It just is just one more way to stop feeling like I have to be better than other people or, or I'm special for whatever reason, I don't want to be special. I, I just want to be average. And uh, it, it is a mind shift. 
I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to pull people like right now who are listening to this. How does that hit you? Because it's probably hitting you like, what? <laughs> that's crazy. Because that's not our culture. Our culture right. is to is to stand out in a in a com- competition, like you said, ty- kind of way, um, where we can. Oh, there's there's some phrase. Uh, there's a way to stand out without standing on. Hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I, again, I, I'm always uh, excited when we're, you know, coming to the end of thinking I'm already ready to, to listen to all of this. Like, what did we say? Cause it was feeling really good. <laughs> we, we might learn something from the hearing as well as from the speaking. What a, what a, exactly. what a treat and a gift. Yeah. yeah. Really appreciate you being with us today, Angela. It's been just an immensely enjoyable conversation for me and i'm sure for our viewers and listeners as well and um in the show notes people will be able to find lots more information about you angela howell.com is the prime website there's the uh, 10 secrets of finding the gift i think is the title of one of your, your free offerings on there and yes. and lots of yes, other i've got people wondering when the second book is going to come out the first one's been out for about three and a half years and and uh this particular type of book, 366 essays, you know, it's a daily meditation. It's, it's quite a feat to put a book like that together and structure it. And uh, I don't know, the content still comes. And so um, by going to my website, um, what I started doing last November was I would promise one new daily meditation a week. I don't know when the book, the next book will be out, but I can give you one new, one new thought every week. And so uh, if someone signs up for my uh, weekly updates, then they do get that free ebook, 10 secrets to finding the gift. And, um, and then I have a reader's group on Facebook. If they just search for finding the gift, they'll see the reader's group. And I love to have dialogue with people. I want to learn. I want someone to read something that I've written and I want it to spark something that they'll share and teach me. You know, I, I mean, we have this cliche phrase, we're in this together, but, but it's, cliche or not, for me, that's how I view things. And, and I've had readers read something, you know, one of my daily meditations and said, it kind of meant this for me, which was different than the direction you went. And, and I love that. I'm like, I hadn't thought about that. So thank you. What a gift you've given back to me. So um, those are a couple of the ways to, to continue interacting, which I value. Beautiful. And thank you so much for having me on here today, Will. And, and on this special day, you know, to honor to honor my brother Jubal and uh, to, to just have radical gratitude for what brought us together. Yeah. I wouldn't have chosen it, but um, you know, uh, there's some things I wouldn't have chosen and then life takes a turn that I wouldn't have even dreamed of. So, you know, we have the things that we wouldn't have chosen, but then we have to acknowledge there's things that have come into our life that are beyond our wildest dreams also two sides mm-hmm. amen oh I hear <laughs> you and feel you deeply yeah i appreciate getting to spend this time with you it's been a great pleasure thank you so much angela hope to see you in uh, in nashville sometime in the not too distant future i hope so too <laughs> thank you will have a great day i will do and thank you also to our viewers and our listeners. Thank you for listening and watching. Please visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community. 
to download or order love letters for yourself, uh, to register for our newsletter, connect on social media, and even consider financial support at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our supporters and contributors. Together, we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community. Do remember to subscribe, like, comment, share, and thank you again.